Welcome to Spin It, where the worst of times can become the best of times. I'm your host, Stephanie Malik, an award-winning crisis management expert and business consulting strategist. Along with my team of experts at S. Malik Enterprises, I have worked with thousands of high-wealth individuals and businesses over the last 25 years to create customized approaches for crisis management and business consulting to ensure they take their careers, relationships, and companies to the next level. On Spin It, we pursue purpose and passion, aspiring to uncover the true story behind every guest's successes and failures, removing the mystique behind what it takes to be truly successful from those that have actually done it. I'm chatting with executives and entrepreneurs all over the globe to understand how they turned obstacles into opportunities to grow not only themselves, but their businesses. I want to impact and inspire you and as many people as possible, not by blurting out the same old motivational phrases, but with the truth and authenticity behind real success, along with the roadmaps and methodologies it takes to get there. Whether it was a scandal, a broken business model, or simply navigating the noise, we want you to learn from our mistakes. It's all in how you spin it. Today, we'll be speaking with Robin Daniels. As a 21-year-old with nothing to lose, Robin hopped a flight, booked a one-way ticket from Copenhagen to San Francisco, determined to join the tech revolution that was bubbling in Silicon Valley. He had no job, no contacts, and nowhere to stay. Just a passport and boundless sense of optimism. But through how Robin spun it, he turned that moment into a massive success with his passion, optimism, integrity, and determination. He has been an executive leader for billion-dollar corporations, including LinkedIn, Box, and Salesforce. He's recently become the chief marketing officer at Matterport in early 2020. Welcome to the show, Robin. Somebody told me last week, and I'm not going to tell you who because I promised that I wouldn't, okay? Somebody told me, and these these are the exact words, okay? Somebody said, oh, gosh, I saw Robin is going to be on your lineup. That's pretty awesome. Every single thing Robin touches turns to gold. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> and then I said, Robin Daniels, are you sure we have the same guy? Yes, I, are you sure we have the same guy? <laughs> are you aware of my last company I worked for? We worked. Did that turn to gold? <laughs> I mean, for the attorneys, it did. <laughs> yeah, that's true. For Adam Newman, it did. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> For me, uh, not so much. Uh, that's pretty funny. But that's, that's the, that, that is exactly though. Like, let's let's touch on this because it is such the issue I think with uh, LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. It's my platform, my jam. I, I posted a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. I love it. And I connect with great people literally every day. It's, it's great. But your journey seems very linear on LinkedIn. So you jump from one great company to another to another to another. Life is never that linear. Never. Life is like this, you know, and, and LinkedIn does not have a good way of showing that in any way. So I think it's very deceiving in some way. And I get it. It's like, it's, how, how do you illustrate that? Because each person's life is so unique. That's why one of the, my favorite topics on LinkedIn is about failure. The failures I've had because I want people to know it was not always up and to the right. You know, I've been laid off many times. I've had to fire people. I've had to, you know, also get reprimanded. I've been yelled at. You know, I mean, I've been at companies that failed. You know, I was at a company called, uh, you know, when I first came to the U.S., um, let me see, it was first Streaming 21, then Persistent Software. Both of them didn't make it. They both crashed and burned. In a more recent time, this is the last decade, I was at a company called uh, Vera, where I was a CMO. And it was acquired, you know, for a decent amount. But it wasn't uh, didn't require, it wasn't acquired in a profitable way. So I'm like, okay, it was basically you know for me it was not a it's not a win. But I had a good experience there. I learned a lot. I grew my my life and career and experience and so on. But it's not like it wasn't a financial success in that way. So so what what do you measure success by? Was it a success in terms of me learning a lot? For sure, you know, and me having some fun. For sure, did I make a, a ton of money out of it? No. But, but see, that's the thing. So that's the exact thing. So you're talking, that's the exact thing. So people automatically see the company and they go, oh, it got acquired. They automatically think the C-suite just crushed it. They have no idea what it takes. And one of the things that I've been talking to, we just recently la- launched at like a mid-level course on executive presence and, you know, like being present when it's really hard to be present, right? Okay. So one of the things we're talking about is the straight line. How BS is the straight line? It's not straight. There's so many dips. There's so many issues. But these younger ones that we're turning out, they do see LinkedIn. And, you know, you don't jump on and go, hey, I mean, you do and I do. But, hey, you know, here are the ways that I failed. 
most people don't do that. They just see the successes and they don't see all the other places that you really sacrificed. And, and yes, did you grow? Yeah, you grew professionally, but you weren't cha-ching. And the guilt I have for not seeing my family as much as I need to or feeling like you're constantly not being the best dad in the world and all these things, you know. And so that's the stuff that people don't see because how do you even tell people? Because it's not like it's unique. Everyone kind of goes through that. You have to, it's such a fine balance between work and life. And if you work too much, you feel guilty about your friends and family. And if you if you lean too much into that, then you feel like you're not giving it your all at work and you're like, well, then I'm never going to get promoted. I'm never going to you know, rise to the VP level, C-suite and so on. So it's, it's this constant duality that you have to fight with at some point. That's why I always think at some point in your life and career, you have to lean in and you have to like go, just go for it, really go for it and work your ass off because you have to create some momentum. And then you, and then you can't lean back too much, but you can lean back a little once you've created some, some, some escape velocity. You know, for me, it was Salesforce when I worked there. I really leaned in. I worked my ass off. I gave it my all. And that gave me some momentum. Of course, it helped that the company was doing well and the brand was a good brand, but it was also because I leaned in. I really worked my ass off of that company to create something very special. And so when the next company came along, it was like, whatever you did at Salesforce, come do it for us at Box. You know, that was kind of the line they used with me because I created enough momentum. That meant that I can now have a little bit more opportunity ahead of me that I could be a little bit more choosy around and choose my own kind of path, which I think when you're first starting out, you feel like your options are quite limited. I remember feeling that way when I first came to it. It was like, whatever comes my way, I'm going to take it because it's not like I have a gazillion options in front of me. And, and, and that changes over the course of your life. Uh, it doesn't mean it gets easier. And that, that's another thing. I, I, I wish there was a way to tell people about how hard leadership is in a way that doesn't sound like, woe is me. Because I hate when rock stars or pop stars sing about, oh, little white tough life, and they're making billions, and they're out there, they're Lamborghinis, and they're private islands. They're like, oh, it's so tough. I'm like, really? And it's kind of like a little bit the same with being a, a, a head of something or a C-level. You know, it's, it's a... Of course, the, the, the pay is better, the equity, the more responsible, but it's also really tough in some ways. I mean, you're, you're constantly, like you said, it's, it's, you're very much isolated and alone. You know, there's not many people who can, who, can, who can relate to you. You're never quite part of the team, even though you're leading a team, if you know what I mean. Of course, you're, you're part of the team, but there's always a little bit of separation because the way that leadership works. And so you're, it's, it's a weird, like, a isolation in some way. If I'm being honest about it, it's, it's something that I struggle with you know, when I think about, because I really like to be part of the team. I like to dig in there and be part of the, the crew. But sometimes you also just have to tell people, this is what we're going to go do. And you have to give hard feedback. And that always puts this little bit of awkward separation, but it's part of part of leadership. That's what it is. Okay. So I promise you, this is going to be like literally the only regurgitated content, but everybody is so fascinated about this with you. You born in Copenhagen, came to the U.S., bought a one-way ticket, slept where, did what, and with who. <laughs> I mean, you don't have, not the with who so much, but, you know, like a little with who. <laughs> <laughs> you just go, you, you get straight in there, don't you? you I mean, you let's go, mess, you, come on. You don't, you don't mess around, you don't mess around. Well, so yes, yeah, so I came February 1st, 2000. Uh, I did buy that one-way ticket. I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't know anybody. I'd never been to California before, and I didn't have a job. I just had my two suitcases. It was a green and a yellow Samsonite suitcase in my two hands. It's a picture of me. I'll dig it up one day of me just leaving for the airport with my two uh, hard case Samsonite suitcases. The first place I stayed was a Holiday Inn down by San Jose Airport. It was one of the cheapest places I could find. I didn't have a lot of money, so I figured I'd stay there for a few days until I found a room on Craigslist that I could go and rent even cheaper. So I came up because you can't really do that from Denmark. It's hard to rent some place when you haven't met the people. Because back then you still would meet up in a coffee shop, which I did with this, this guy in Los Gatos. He told me I had a room and I rented it from him. But, but I didn't know anyone. So the way I, I met uh, women when I first came over there was through uh, online apps. <laughs> you know, I, was, I was a pioneer in that space. Um, Dating.com and other apps like that was what I would use to. to so to you meet are people. a first adopter. You're an early yes, adopter. Yes, yes, <laughs> nice. Exactly. I like it. Always I love been, it. Always been a first adopter. Uh, <laughs> and and it, I mean, it works somewhat if you're. I mean, even back then it was you know, it was crude, but it worked. You know, you can meet people, and I met I met some people, uh, but it was also through work um, and work friends that I was starting to make as I got more and more embedded. And I met my wife at work. Actually, so when I finally came to Veritas in 2001, January 2001, about a year after my journey, because the first two companies did not make it, 
I ended up getting hired at a company called Veritas as a product marketing manager. I was 20, 22 at the time uh, when I got hired there. And uh, the first person that I met was my, my future wife, Barbara. Uh, she was the executive assistant to the head of marketing. And I'm just like, I'm going to sleep my way to the top. It's going to be great. You know? I've heard <laughs> that about you. That's my, that's my next question. <laughs> Exactly. But, but actually, so, we, so she was the first person I met. She had also moved from uh, the Midwest, so she didn't know many people. I didn't know many people. We became great friends as I, as I got hired there and I started working there. We just started uh, really falling in love with each other. And then we really decided it was on 9 11, uh, 2001, that we had the moment of truth around uh, is this going to be a thing or not? Because we, we, all, we always had this like, we like each other, but we're working together. And it's a little awkward, you know, what if it doesn't work out? And, and uh, for, for many reasons, you know, work, workplace romances can be really great or really awkward, you know, <laughs> mostly awkward or for both. most people, right? Yeah, or both. Yeah, or both right? <laughs> but we just decided, like, we really like each other, you know, and, uh, and we don't want to regret this for the rest of our life because of uh, this mental barrier that we're working together. So 9-11 was like a moment of truth, like life is short. Because everyone at that moment, you, you, I know if you, if you think back on your life, you, everyone felt very fragile suddenly. And like it's just a war that's starting, you know, life can evaporate like that. You know, it was, it was, um, it was, it was hard. And so we just had each other to, to comfort each other in that moment. And, but it also made us realize how much we, we loved each other. So that was... I love that. The beauty out of chaos, so to speak. That's really, that's awesome. So when you moved here and you were here and you were finished with all the dating apps and endorsing all of those, <laughs> um, when you were, <laughs> when I've never you were told moving, that to anybody before. It's, it's a little weird. Yay. <laughs> Good Lord. Considering all the things we've talked about, that's not yeah, one of the true, weirdest. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> Did you wait, 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 did you ever try the early ones dating? Oh, yeah. No, you should ask my husband about that. This is like a hysterical (laughs) thing. Like, I could tell you a story about this, and you would literally die laughing. So I did try match.com. I did. And I I quickly, so you obviously know how I feel about noise, and I didn't really kind of get into all the settings and everything, and I didn't know all the filter stuff. And all of a sudden, I started getting like, four would be overwhelming and it was like 40. So I was like, okay, I really just can't do this anymore. Okay. Fast forward. I meet my husband. He's amazing. Okay. He's phenomenal. Thank God. I met him on a soccer field and not in match.com because I would never hear the end of it. Hysterical story that you will love. And I'm just going to share with you really fast that no one knows. So my best friend is going through this excruciating divorce. Okay. And she goes, Hey, meet me in park city. And I was like, fine, I'm going to meet you in park city, but you're going to actually go on a date. And she's like, yeah, that's not happening. Pound salt. Okay. So I said, no, 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 you're really going to go on a date. So we went out to a bar and she was very uncomfortable. It was, she hadn't dated in many, many years and it was, it's uncomfortable. It's weird. Okay. So I was like, give me my iPad. So I get my iPad and I don't know any of the dating apps now. Like I have no idea. So I'm like looking at them and I'm looking, this is like three or four years ago. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, oh, oh, like what is, ew, like it was sketchy before, but now sketchy an entirely new level. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to listen to you. I had 300 pictures of her. So I went on to my computer and I, I set up her profile and I will tell you this. We laughed for three days so hard. Our faces. From the responses? Oh my gosh. From the responses and, you know, the things that people would say to kind of get attention. And it was, Robin, it was, it was, it was sad and it was funny. And then it was kind of like cute. There was like a bunch of all these different emotions. Okay. So listen to this. So I never use my iPad, you know, Caden uses it. So I don't really use my iPad ever. Okay. So a year later, we're on a flight and Caden goes to pull up movies and has a passcode sent to my, like a junk email. Okay. And my husband is there and he's pulling it up. And all of a sudden it says, Stephanie found your perfect match, found your perfect match, found your perfect match. Found your perfect match." And he's like, and it's Robin, it's like, and, and he, honey, honey, what's going on? He's, he's sitting, he's sitting at another seat and he turns it to me and he's like, should I like, and I was like, I, I couldn't speak for 60 seconds. Cause I was laughing so hard. And I was like, I, I'm like, I swear. And he's like, and he's like looking at me. He's like, I mean, it was it's just endless, endless scrolling. And for a year, I mean, think about what that looked like. Like he was just like, what is going on? I'm like, Hey, at least none of them have been open. Like this really could have played out much differently. You could have opened them and seen, you know, 
Okay, so I'm going to bounce around everywhere, okay? Sure. Most pivotal moment of your entire career thus far. And don't give me any weird or lame answers. I want something real. <laughs> Most pivotal moment. Uh, let me think about it. That's a really good question. Um, I would say it was probably at, uh, at Vera. Um, I've been there two years, two and a half years. It was, it was, it was in the last, um, I guess, last decade. I was the CMO there. I was one of the early, early uh, employees there. Came in as like employee number eight. And... Uh, Built the company up. We raised over 50 million in funding over several rounds. Got a good team. But I come from Salesforce, where I led Chatter, Box, which was like team collaboration. And then I came into this, this, this industry that was uh, cybersecurity, you know, very serious, very dour, very kind of negative, if I'm honest about it. Uh, very much playing on fear. If you know anything about me, I do not like fear. I, I'm trying to like put some positivity out into the world. And so that, that was always haunting me a little bit. And I felt for a long time, it wasn't just like after two years, I felt for a long time like, is this the right thing for me? But I was also worried at that point because it was kind of, I was still kind of, you know, learning how to be a CMO, to be honest, at that point. And I was like, if I leave too soon, what does that say about me, you know, as a person to the VCs, to the industry, to the recruiters, about my ability to see things through? And I had this like in my mind, I've got to stick it out, i got to stick it out. But then after two years, two and a half years, I'm like, I started thinking about it in the other direction. What does it say about me if I didn't if I didn't leave? What would it say about me as a person if I didn't have the integrity to follow through and do something that I'm really passionate about? Go back to something where I'm passionate about giving back the people, the industry I'm working in, putting out something that's positive, that's really hopefully changing the world in a positive way. So I started changing my perspective a lot on that. But it was such a pivotal moment because you can either see it from the inside out of like, my first perspective was very fear-based. Like, what people think about me, will I be a pariah in the valley? Will I not be able to get another like CMO gig if I leave too soon? I'll leave the two founders who I told everyone that I'm going to stick by, you know, for a long time. What, what if I leave them too soon and the company creators, which it did a little bit afterwards. But then I just started taking the other post, like, what does it say about me if I don't? don't follow through. Uh, and, and everybody who knew me knew that I wasn't happy there. I wasn't living up to my full potential. I wasn't, wasn't passionate about the company. I wasn't passionate about the industry. I wasn't passionate about the product. It was just like, it was just not my jam. And then so for like a good six months, I would wake up, you know, I'm just not being motivated. I'm just like, it's just not me. I'm just not excited about, about, about the whole thing. So I ended up deciding to, to leave, but it was really hard because I felt like, even though I wasn't a founder, they called me the near founder because I was like, the first executive they hired in, and I helped. At that point when I started, I basically led most of the team that wasn't engineering or product uh, until we found the right executives for each of the functions. So it was really hard to lead. I felt like you were, like you were betraying your, 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 the trust of your friends and, and, and the founding team and so on. So it was, it was a really hard conversation with the CEO at that point. I remember we were in New York together visiting customers. And we were out at the, uh, was it the Gramercy Tavern, I think it was called, uh, down in AI Rise. It's a great place. To have, like, that is a great place. In the world. Yeah. That is not a great and, uh, place to deliver information that we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I, but there was, never, there was never a good time. I figured it was the moment that we, we him and I were together. We, we become, you know, good friends because as you do as founders and in and, and, and an early stage startup. But I told him. He was, he, was, he was definitely upset. And I was upset too. It was like, just, it was a really hard conversation. But he also understood, you know, it was like, he, he, know, he knew he had uh, grown to learn my personality enough to know that I was being genuine about what I said. You know, I wasn't, wasn't leaving to go to another opportunity. I hadn't lined anything up. I just told him, hey, I'll take as long as it needs to like, transition, but I'm going to leave. You know, this is not, this is not for me. It was, really, it was really hard. Well, I think anybody who knows you, who spends any time with you at all, just knows how integrity driven you are. They really like that you don't push your own agenda, but you definitely want to be inclusive in that agenda. And so anybody who knows you for any length of time would know that this would be a very uncomfortable place for you to show up to every single day, you know? So even though the conversation was hard and, and you, you've had to have a lot of those hard conversations, can you imagine what it would have looked like if you would not have done it? Exactly. I mean, because then the way I show up to my team every day, is without passion, without fire, without fuel. And that's, that is what I, I think about my superpower, right? I, I, I didn't go to any great schools that you would ever know. I'm not the best marketer out there. I think if you'd say, hey, who's the best brand marketer I can name a person? Who's the best product marketer I can name a person? Who's the best storyteller, communications? 
my power is like being excited, passionate, getting the best out of people, you know, and really like leading a team um, to inspire them to do great things that they maybe never even thought they could do themselves. And, and, and getting people motivated to work well together and, and kind of cross, uh, break down those barriers. And so if I'm not motivated, it makes it very hard to do my job, I right. think. Um, and well, so that, was, that was kind of the realization, yeah. Yeah, if you're flat, you know, if you're flat and you're kind of coming in and you 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 don't fake it well, you have got a very no, specific I, smile I that's like a super fake smile, and you're like, Ooh, what's this gonna look like today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not great. I've never wanted a job where you're kind of like looking at the clock, you're like, is it time to go home? That's, that's a shitty feeling, honestly. And I know we, there, there will always be times where you, you have meetings or days where you're like, this sucks, but or if you have it for six months, you really got to do something about it. Maybe that was even too long, and maybe I should have done too. But you, you can beat yourself up mercilessly when you look back. Uh, but, but I'm so glad I made the decision because that led me to go then to to LinkedIn for a while, and it's a platform I love. And LinkedIn was great in terms of like just getting to a place where there was so much positivity and passion around the product and the platform. It's something I was I was really excited by, and then of course. That led me to rework. I wasn't actually looking to leave. You know, if, if you'd re- rewound the clock back, I thought I was going to be at LinkedIn a very long time. Like, it's a great company, great culture. You know, it's not perfect. There were things that I would have changed, but but overall, I thought it was like it's a really strong place to uh, to grow your career and lead a team that was passionate about what they were doing. But LinkedIn, uh, WeWork came along, and they just kind of had a you know a great story because I felt at that point in time what WeWork was trying to do, the story they were telling. And I got there through Kendall, who I used to work with at Salesforce, a great leader. I mean, that they were trying to be basically a physical version of LinkedIn. And at that point, I felt like well, LinkedIn is a great platform, but but it, it's it's like the world is going in the wrong direction. People are becoming more and more divided. And social media has a lot to blame for, but other, other things as well in the world. And I'm like, if, if the WeWork model of like getting people together physically to break down barriers of understanding between all of us, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I still believe it's a beautiful thing, even to this day, that, that we are better when we're together. I mean, I, I love that we can work remotely. You and I can chat now. It's not the same as being in the same room. But the first time last week I met, uh, not everyone, but, but I met quite a few of the uh, Matterport team members and the executive team in New York. The first time I joined, you know, during the pandemic, a year and a half, I've been looking through a screen. The first time meeting them, it was so emotional. So great to see everyone, give people a hug and talk to them, see their body language, not just their face, you know, it's like, it's just, it's just weird. It's so great. <laughs> so that's that, that I wanted to see if that was actually true. Cause the last time you and I chatted, you said, Steph, I still haven't met any of them live. Like imagine, um, so, so, you know, when, when I was, when I was talking to my team about this, so Robin, this is really important. So everybody has struggles with their team. We've talked about that. Everybody has struggles with hiring. We've talked about that. Everybody has problems with standing out and having key differentiators. We'll talk about that in a second. But to do that remotely, but to manage a team remotely. And and I'd like to add, you're still living in Copenhagen, right? You went back. I am. I am. Yeah. yeah. I'm here right now. So, this is where right. I am. <laughs> yeah. So the time difference, okay? Yes, Not meeting yes, your yes. team, trying to figure out a way to motivate and, and still be approachable and be the best leader that you possibly can be, which by the way, I think you're in amazingly fabulous. But to do that through a screen and to hire through a screen and to hopefully, I don't know, maybe fire through a screen or any of the things that you've had to do, walk me through that, what that was like for you emotionally and from a leadership perspective. I think it's been, uh, if, if, you, if you ask about the hardest thing, so I just mentioned one thing. The other thing I think is this this past year and a half, it's been really tough to to lead and motivate through a, team, through a screen, you know, and, and because the time zone difference makes some things easier because we can kind of like bounce off each other in, in interesting ways, but it also makes it really hard, you know, sending a motivational Slack message. It's not the same as you and I being in the same room and like talking things out when things are going well, or sending a harsh Slack message because sometimes communication can come across as really harsh, even though I don't mean it that way. I'm just trying to get to a resolution on something. I'm like, you know, hey, uh, Susan, I don't have a Susan. Like, hey, Susan, can you get me this right now? I need it. You know, it sounds really harsh when she's reading it potentially, right? And I, I'm, I'm always trying to be aware of that. But I don't mean it that way. If we weren't in a room, I'd just be like, hey, I just need this, you know, for, for my meeting, you know, or something. So it's been, it's been really tough. Cause I, I, I'm the kind of person that likes to read body language and likes to, like, see how I can get people to understand their emotional intelligence a little bit, to see how I can communicate with them in the best possible way. And it's really hard to do through a screen. And so when I met people last week, it was it was uh, it was so fun because we were, we were IPOing the company, 
great, you know, so lots, lots of like good vibes, but also for everyone, it was very emotional. And, and for, for a few of us, it, well, I wasn't the only one, it was maybe out of the 20 people that came, I think maybe five of us had never, had started during the pandemic. So we'd never met anybody in person. So it was just kind of like very emotional and weird to be there under that circumstance. So it was so joyous, but it was also very intense. There were quite a few tears actually, yeah, for all of us as we were like going through the day of the IPO, especially and realizing that we had done this all without ever being in the same room once, you know, through the battles that we've been through. But when it comes to, to your, your, quite, your point about leadership and, and leading a team, I think it's been, it's been really really tough. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. And you're trying to, I think when you come into a new company, whoever you are, I think it takes a good three to six months to build some trust in a, in a team, in a relationship. I think it takes twice as long, twice as long at least uh, doing Zoom, Google Hangouts, whatever you're using, uh, twice as long, if not three times as long, because you just don't have the moments of serendipity. Everything is, you got to get to a point. And so when we were in New York last week, you know, when I was in New York last week, because we had some offside with some of the, the team members, it's in the breaks when you're standing there getting some coffee and you're just refilling and taking a, a weird bite of a brownie and you're chatting together. You know, Those are the moments when you connect. And, I, and there's a couple of members of the executive team where you know, I feel like we haven't really connected in a, in a, in a meaningful and authentic way. And, and not because anybody has any ill intent, not at all. It's just we hadn't had those moments. So it was really important for us to bond together uh, over dinner, drinks, you know, all the things that, that we take, we've taken for granted. So when people say the future of work is all remote, I'm like, it's such BS, if you ask me. There's, there's no way. I think part of it is, is remote. Part of it is, is flexible. But it's really about, you know, giving and trusting people to have the freedom they need to do the work that they want when they want. And sometimes that means being together. And sometimes that means being apart. But I, I don't believe in a future where everyone's just completely remote. It's only going to isolate people further and their mental health is going to struggle. I think the mental health aspect of the last year and a half has been really tough because you don't feel like you have the moments of release together that are so important as a team. So it has been, I mean, I'm both proud of the, what everyone has accomplished, immensely proud. And even myself, I'm proud of myself for getting through this and we're not, out, we're not through it completely yet, but it has not been easy. I mean, it really has not been easy. <laughs> So, so that's like a, a lot of the things that, that I wanted to bring to the listeners was the mental health aspect of this. It's, it's real. And I agree with you completely, Robin, when it comes to, I want there to be an option of working together and I want there to be an option of being remote because sometimes I, I was talking to, to somebody the other day and I was telling them how many incubators that we've been in until two, three, four o'clock in the morning with a giant whiteboard where somebody is just so spun and you just start making funny pictures and everybody starts laughing and, you know, and then there, there wasn't DoorDash at the time, but then somebody had, knows a place that's open until midnight and you order food and you guys work all through the night, you know, we're missing all of those things right now. We're, we're so missing those things. And those are the things that make us, you know, we were, we, I mean, we had, doing good dinners every night last week with the team. But it was so great to just like have those moments where you can break down the barriers. And those are like the, the great ideas also flow in a way that it just doesn't flow in, uh, in a virtual setting. You know, if we, when we were like, you know, RJ, our CEO will say something and Gene will jump in on top of that and build on it. And then JD, our CFO will build it and everyone starts laughing and then we build on that. You don't have any of that on, on this medium because it's so... Now you talk, now you talk, now it's your turn, now it's your turn. It's like, there's no flow. There's nearly zero flow to a conversation. So, and, and then people become hyper aware also, I've noticed, you know, even though I try my darndest <laughs> to get everyone to speak as much as they can when we do our team meetings and so on, but some are very introverted and they become even more introverted, I think, nearly on a Zoom call because they become so aware of their own, now I'm in the spotlight and 30, 40 people are looking at me. It's very uncomfortable. So, so when I say any questions, it's always the same people who raise their hand and speak up, you know, the extroverts usually. And, and we, you really have to like tease it out of people or, or pose questions and learn how to pose questions and read body language in a way that gets them to engage. It's been a very hard skill when you only see people's face like this all the time. <laughs> it's just, it's just very oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and it's really hard. And and you're, and here's the thing you, you're great to work with as far as like easing people up, you know, like you'll joke and you'll get down to business, but you'll also joke. But when you haven't met someone and that someone is your boss, 
you're still kind of minding your, you know, your P's and Q's. And if you will, there's relationship busters and there's relationship, you know, binders. And you don't really get those unless you're with somebody. You can't really create like private jokes or like, you know, innuendos or like fun things that you play off of all day long on yeah, a video that's screen. exactly right. I mean, you and I have been able to do it, but nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> I confided to my CEO, this is maybe uh, a month ago or so, maybe a month and a half ago, and said, hey, you know, there's, there's one team member uh, that I'm struggling a little bit with, uh, like just getting us to connect and bond. And he's like, it's because you've never, you've never like been in the same room together. You never like, you never talked about anything meaningful. You know, it's all about just work. And, and if you're coming from different worlds, then you will see the world differently. And he's right. We got together in New York last week. It was great to just bond in person because we got to have a drink together and kind of like chat a little bit about stuff that wasn't work. Hey, what do you do outside of work? And all those things that are, make us human. And so it's just, it's, uh, it's like we need that. You know, I really hope that the, the future is where I can go see my team when we need to. Uh, I can go meet, meet people when we need to, but we have the flexibility to kind of kind of do what we want. Um, so yeah, it's been, well, it's interesting. Because it, I, I, I don't know if we're out of it anytime soon. It feels like the world is a little bit going back into- It feels into, like start, stop, start, stop, I know. start, stop. It's, it's, it's like, come on already. Just make up your mind. <laughs> okay, here's some more. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, three valuable lessons that you would tell a private room. So think of think of your 20 to 30-year-olds, okay? So we've talked about in areas where you and I have felt like they really thrive a lot. Personally, you and I have, and where they kind of fall apart, okay? So I'm going, I want to, I want to be an executive. I want Robin's job. I want Robin's job, okay? Tell me as openly and honestly as you possibly can what skills they're missing to get to your job and what they can do better to be a standout? Yeah, yeah, it's great. That's a, that's a great question. I think about it a lot too. Uh, <laughs> I think when, when, when you're, it's true, I do, because uh, I'm trying to coach people through both in the company, but also outside of the company, I, I coach and mentor some people and you certainly need to be really good at something. There's no doubt about it. You have to kind of choose your, your path of what you want to be good at. It doesn't mean you have to keep that forever. And when you're in a company, it's easier than ever to move around. Your, your main goal is to get your foot in the door. And how do you do that? You open the door first. You have to first meet somebody. I always felt like and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a guy I mentor and say, you know, just like if you can convince somebody to just take a meeting with you, that's the biggest that's the biggest hurdle because then once you're in there, then you can convince pretty much anyone if you're persuasive of how great you are and what you can do for them and so on. But just getting that meeting is so important. And it's been harder with COVID. I do think it's been harder because we're doing it this way. Again, it's not the same as, as being in person where you can meet somebody. But so, so you gotta, you gotta figure out the door, get it open, get a meeting, and then you gotta persuade somebody. And of course, you know, you gotta have some hard skills, especially when as you're starting out your career in your, in your, I would say, early to mid-level of your career, a lot of it's about your hard skills. But what will make you succeed is all about your soft skills. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's, it's the thing that will either make or break you. The, the reason you get promoted to leadership is oftentimes because of your soft skills. Don't get me wrong. You have to, of course, have results. It's important. And, and results can't just be every now and then. Uh, you have to consistently deliver great results and be innovative and, and have great ideas. But it's about the soft skills. If you show up as a jerk, you know, you will never really get from and you and I have known jerks, so it happens, of course. It's not like it doesn't happen, right? But very I'm I still think, trying to figure out what their hard skills and their soft yeah. skills are actually. <laughs> but you know when companies are becoming aware, people are yeah. becoming aware that, that that kind of behavior is becoming very frowned upon, I would say now. Maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago it was fine. As long as you were just delivering, it didn't matter how you deliver. I think it's exactly the opposite. Now it's about how, how you deliver. Right? You know, if you leave a wake of destruction behind you and how you deliver, not good enough anymore. You know, if, if you have everybody hating you as you're, even though you're getting results, it's not going to fly, you know. And so, and, and because nowadays, so many jobs are a team effort. You rarely do anything alone. Sales used to be the, the ultimate lone wolf. Yeah, sales used to be the ultimate lone wolf. Even sales now is completely a team effort, right? Marketing has always been a team sport, but sales has always been kind of a little, now it's a team effort, right? engineering, product, finance, taking a company public, it's all, it's all a massive team. So if, you, so if you don't have the soft skills, and soft skills, it's not about, here, here's what people get wrong about soft skills. People think soft skills is about reading what your mood, your language, your body language, and so on, and then trying to say what they think you want to hear. 
That's not what yeah, that's exactly about. not it at all. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not it <laughs> no, at all. But that's what a lot of people think. They, and you can tell it. Yeah. Awkwardly, they try to like tell you what you want to hear or based on what they think. Like, and it's a little bit like you know kissing ass, or and it doesn't really work that well. Um, but it's really like so you're starting out your journey on your soft skills. That's what people think. It's like reading somebody's body language, their, their emotions, their person, and then telling you what you think. But that's not what it is. I think uh, having high EQ is all about reading you and telling you the right thing in a tactful way that is, that is modified to how your mood is, who you are, what you're interested in, and so on. Telling you the thing that you need to hear in the right way. That's what, it, that's what it's about. Not telling you the thing that you think you want to hear. And that's a very, that's a, that's a, that's a very different, I think, mindset because it's about having the courage then to have those conversations. But again, I think EQ is about having it in a way that makes it seem like we're in this together. It's, it's about, I, I, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you this because I care about you. You know, I'm not telling you, to, I'm telling you this to make you better. And, and, and so it's, it's a very different thing. Because I see people who, when they're, especially in their mid-level and they're trying to like grow to the next level, they're, they're oftentimes catering a little bit too much, trying to get everybody to like them. You know, and I've been guilty of this. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's, certainly, it's, it, I think people want to be like them. I'm, I'm one of those people too. But as you, as you mature in your career, you also got to be able to have the harder conversations. That there's no doubt about it. And, and I've admired and respected, especially the leaders I work for, who have the courage to do that. Uh, you know, and they do it with compassion. They're not assholes about it. Because I've, I've worked with some of those people. And it's just, there's a way of doing things. That's what I, that's what I mean by EQ. Like having the courage to say the right thing, but in a tactful uh, compassionate way. So I think is what EQ is about. So, so I think that that's really awesome. And I want to touch on that for a second, because again, one of the things that we've talked about so much, Robin, is about empathetic connection, creating empathy and, and empathy is, is not only for yourself. It's a practice skill like we've talked about, but it's also really a reflection of the other person. So it's really creating the connection and actually kind of getting into their head and letting them know just exactly like you said, like I am telling, I'm taking the time out of my day to spend time with you and share with you some of the things that might make you even better than you already are. Sometimes that's well-received. What I have found, and I'm interested to see what you where you are, is it's been a, not as well-received from maybe the younger generation who don't necessarily have that as... Um, a high priority right now um, on their list, they almost take it as we we call, there's sometimes we say, you know, like a snowflake or like, you know, like other feelings were hurt or things like that. It really is not intentional at all. It's really to make you better because we actually think you're so great at this. If you were able to maybe do these things and they're, they're extremely offended. Have you found that as well? Yeah, I have. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's, that's why I think the, the calibration needs to happen because you can easily I think misunderstand the intention coming through, um, and so I think they, I, I've definitely found, and I, I've been guilty of certainly complaining about millennials or uh, snowflakes and, and so on, right? And, and I've probably been one myself at times with my dance. So I'm pro sure people because I'm kind of like borderline there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. What I love about that generation is that they care so much. They're purpose driven in a way that I think we were never trained to be. And I think many of us are waking up to realize kind of that epiphany I had when I was at Vera, like I want to do something I'm passionate about. I want to be purpose-driven. I want to do something that's meaningful. And I think they're much better at that than we are. But I do think that uh, my experience has been some of them lack the resilience and the grit of what it's really required uh, sometimes to, to go all the way. And again, it's a hard generalization to make because I've also met fantastic people who are just like, they put their head down, they do great work and so on. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of a of a mixed bag. So you have to just read and understand where they come from. It's it's they have in their mindset this is just a job, and many of them do. You know, like with other people, and like I don't want to characterize, you know, like I think many other generations do. But if it's just a job, then you also got to put as much effort into it to them in the same way. If they think it's just a job, but you can always find the people who believe it's more. It's a vocation. It's a mission. I'm gonna do whatever I can. Those are the people you invest in because they will go through uh, walls to make you and the company successful. You know, and if you have those in your team, it's the best because they are just like the, the, like the super, the people who show up like it's a job, like there's nothing wrong with it. But you can kind of tell, you know, it's like they're doing their job and they probably do it well, but it's like, do they go the extra mile? 
Do you think that that's trainable? So do you think if you gave that feedback to somebody and you said, hey, look, we feel, and by the way, it's not wrong. It's not bad. If this is a job for you, for whatever reason, that's not for me to judge. I'm not going to judge you at all. Okay. But gosh, it would be really exciting if you would go that extra mile. And these are some of the reasons why, or these are some of the ways how, do you think that that's a trainable skill? I think it can. I think it comes through storytelling. This is why I'm so passionate about storytelling is because storytelling is not just about the purpose of the company and what you're trying to do, but it's also the purpose of the individual. So getting to learn and understand the individual person's journey and what they want to accomplish, if you can then tease out how working together and doing this thing will help them get there, I think that's the way to motivate them. Very few people, honestly, are motivated by a little bit extra money or a few shares extra or whatever. You don't wake up every day thinking about how much money you make. You know, it's, it's usually about some larger goal you have in life. When I was at LinkedIn, we did this thing uh, in one of my offsites where it was gonna, as a way to break down barriers. So every person, I gave them the homework assignment, to, would show up at the offsite. And the first thing we would share is why we're doing what we're doing on a personal, deeply personal level. And, you know, I started by sharing mine just so break the ice and so on and make it not super uncomfortable. And I said, you know, I do what I do to make my son proud. You know, everything I do is because I know I, the way I grew up, grew up very poor. You know, my parents were divorced. You know, I had to kind of fight for everything, you know, in a way. I had to hustle my way through life. And I, I, I'm working so hard and I, I put so much effort into it to make my son proud of who I am and who I've become. I'm getting all emotional. I was thinking about it, but that's that's really that's my why. That's my personal why. And so, if you can find that in everyone, then you can also start catering the motivation, the uh, the, uh, the rewards based on that. So, you, but it takes effort. You know, you have to lean in. It's not like something that just people voluntarily will say to you. So, you have to kind of figure out how to get that information. You have to tease it out, and some people it's harder to tease that out than others. So, when we did that exercise, it was actually it was interesting. A lot of tears in that exercise. People were very emotional when they were telling their personal stories about why they were doing what they were doing. Some did it to belong. You know, like I've never felt like I belonged before. Now I'm feeling like I belong as part of this team. That was super heartwarming. Or I wanted to break this, the, the, I wanted to make my, my parents prove them wrong. You know, they, they thought I, I wouldn't be successful and I'm doing it. It's like, but there's all these great stories, but it was getting to the personal why is really important. But it takes also, I think, both. The, the, the exercise was good for team bonding, but it was also good for each person individually for some introspection about why you're doing what you're doing. So I think that that's, I think that's amazing. And, and, and the reason why I think that's so incredible is I, I know you know this, but for the companies I've launched and the, and the firms that I've run, we've had a 1% turnover. So we don't have a very large turnover at all. And, and the crazy part about this is, is I stopped doing it how I was taught to do, which is you make sure you review the resume, you do backdoor reference checking. Finally, I think, honestly, Robin, I think one day I just really had it and I was running around and I was crazy. I think you I hadn't been outside. <laughs> I know, right. Running around crazy? No, not at all. So I, I remember I got this resume and I remember being so ticked off. Like, why am I... I am not the person to interview because I am so, can you imagine going through an interview with me? We should do that in another podcast. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> this would be so fun. <laughs> so, so I basically looked at the resume and there was a C-suite position and I looked at it and I remember, I, I remember I put on my tennis shoes and I remember I tossed the resume and I remember Sarah ran after me and she's like, hey, you forgot his resume. I'm like, you know what? If he can't talk about his experience, I damn well don't need to hire him. And I remember I literally stopped using resumes. They'd be like, this person went to Stanford and then he went to Yale and you know, he's done B school, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. What is your purpose? What is your passion? Why are you doing these things? What motivates you? What elevates you? What makes you think that you've, you know, hit it out of the park? What's your measurement of success? And I swear, Robin, they were like, uh, yeah. like they hadn't prepared for that. <laughs> That's What's right. my That's measurement right. of what again, Steph? What, one more time. What's my measurement? So when doing that, I'm thinking about that. I think you're very eloquent in saying these are the things that you do to actually motivate people and bring them to another level. I'm so sad. I have one more question. I really want to do this for another two hours, um, maybe three hours, because I just feel like so many people get so much great stuff from you and we're able to have these conversations. Tell me your perfect avatar. One of the things that you do really well is you read people extraordinarily well. You're also a creator and you're also a connector, okay? So tell me what avatar would you hire and create a position? So you're at a coffee shop, okay? Somebody walks in. What conversation do you say, oh my God, you need to come work for me? What does that person look like? What does my avatar look like? Like who's my perfect 
hire. It is somebody who is fearless and has grit and passion. And I've hired a few of those people. They had, they had no experience. And uh, I just saw something in them. And they've both, they've all gone on to do uh, great things. There's two that come to mind. Uh, Valise and Yannick. Uh, Valise, I hired Vera Yannick over at LinkedIn. And I was introduced to both. Uh, well, actually, Valise, I was introduced to through a mutual friend. He just said, she's awesome. You got to meet her. She was an SDR at the time. She hated it, but super bright. She's like, she wanted to do something else. Can you just take a meeting and give her some life coaching? I'm like, okay, f- fair enough. I met her. I'm just like, oh my God, she's awesome. I got to hire her. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, that kind of a person because she had grit and passion and tenacity, which I just love. And, and Yannick was similar, but he also was super humble. It was just like, you know, I've struggled in these areas, you know, for some reason, I can't get people to take a meeting with me. I have great skills. I feel like I've you know, had a good background in education, but I don't know why. Can you just give me some pointers? And instant, But he was so passionate about the story he told me about his life and how he grew up in Africa and Europe and now in the U.S. And it's like, like somebody with that life experience is very hard to find because you know they've been through some struggles. I say this a lot uh, to my team, but you know, you forge bonds when you go through some shit together or when you go through some shit by yourself, right? That, that's really what you do. That's how you build resilience. I, I, I know there's a lot of books out there about grit and resilience. I don't know if you can read about it or teach it. I think maybe you can get some pointers, but I really think you have to live through some shit. And the only way to do it, and it's because what they teach you perspective on things, right? <laughs> and I know you've been through quite a few things, but I think those people I met, uh, Elise and, and Yannick, just two examples, had both. They'd had many failures and setbacks. You can tell they were just hungry. Because when they're hungry for it, they will do whatever it takes to prove people wrong. And I love that. So I know I that that is absolutely incredible. And I love that you were able, because obviously nothing was prepared and I didn't go off their notes and I went off some, you know, crazy questions. I know you probably know the Mark Benioff story about the waiter at the Rosewood. Did you do you no, know that story? No, no, no I don't so, know. Okay. So Mark's at dinner and there's a, you know, 10, 12 top dinner. And um, the waiter was absolutely completely exceptional. And to anticipate Mark's needs is not easy. It's not, it's not an easy thing. And this waiter literally, Robin, Mark couldn't say something without it just being like the genie. Like this guy was like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I, I remember like, it's the funniest story. It was probably maybe 10 years ago. And I remember that at the end of dinner, Mark basically handed him his card and he said, are you looking for a job? Like, because I can't teach this type of service. I can't teach this type of suggestive selling. I can't teach this. And the, and the waiter was like, who are you? And we were dying laughing because it was, I mean, it was just like the funniest thing in the entire world. But that's exactly what you're saying. The grit, the anticipation, the going through things, being there, reading people is fabulous. And if you can operationalize that, that's a great story. I'll tell you. So when I when I was at LinkedIn, I got to meet lots of fascinating people because and they were, and all the people I met were hiring like heads of people, heads of talent. It was great. And I was I met this head of uh, talent at an insurance company, and the data shows nobody wants to work for an insurance company. Nobody. It's like the, the like just like the, the industry doesn't have a good reputation. Get your job sound grabbed. You want to go sell insurance to people, you know? And so, so they had a tough time recruiting and especially in, in customer support and customer success. So they, they were very creative. They said, well, who are really good with people? Because you have to be good to people with people in that industry because you have to like convince them of things. They went out and then hired uh, bartenders. They went out like, because the bartenders, like, especially if, not if you're a top end bartender, but if you're like just working in some dead end bar and you're good with people, you can get a fabulous job, probably five times your salary or something, you know, maybe. And, and, and you're good with people. So they found out like a secret hack of like, how do they get people attracted to their engine to get them in to make it more interesting? And they had amazing success, but it's so counterintuitive. Who would have thought, let's go hire bartenders to, to work uh, customer success and support in an in insurance company. But again, it goes back to customer success. It goes back to what's the customer story. It goes back to how do you connect with them? So yeah, it's crazy, but again, it's also amazing and brilliant. Totally brilliant. I was like, that is brilliant. Awesome. <laughs> so you started going to all the bars and recruiting all the bartenders for, yeah. I will be a researcher. <laughs> 
So one fun fact before you go, and I want to, I want a commitment right now that we get to do this again (laughs) soon. Yes, for sure. So I was picking out bathroom fixtures a couple days ago. This is a true story. I'll even send it to you. I'm picking out bathroom fixtures and she sends me the quote. And on the end of the quote, she says, Hey, Stephanie, if you'd like to look at our our, um, showroom through Matterport, you're more than welcome to do so. That's so awesome. I'm done. Uh, I'm like, like, okay. I'm like, that's hysterical that you say that because one of my good friends and she was laughing. She was like, oh my God. She's like, my kids are on that. I was like, yeah. And so I started telling her um, the story, you know, of being able to be there and view things and and kids in poor countries that would never have the opportunity. I basically did the entire Robin Daniels spiel of this is what we're doing. And she was just, she was beside herself. She just thought it was the greatest thing ever. So my, my cousin, who's a teacher in, in Boston, just two, I think it was two months ago, she sent me a screenshot of her doing a Matterport for her elementary school kids. You know, they were doing a tour of the Harvard Museum, uh, which is a Matterport. It's just like, <laughs> that's so, so awesome so I'm so excited so I think yeah, so it's going, safe to say you hit it out of the park with this one yeah 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 well as I like to say I've done two and a half IPOs you know Box <laughs> but I wasn't the CMO there right or anything but but Box we work half and then you know but it was it was weird you know I was at NASDAQ last week you know uh, we were doing the ceremony taking the company public but I was there two years ago preparing you know with, we had photos of us you know, looking at the space and you know, preparing the whole thing. And so it was, it was also weird from, from that perspective, like being back What a trip, Robin. And it was yeah. Like, you know, that's a little odd. Yeah, that's probably so, didn't it's, sit it's, really good. No, because it's, it's so, it's so, I think it's so rare to even get the opportunity to go public. I mean, it's like once in a lifetime. So to have two in a row and one fail and one not, you know, it's like just, it's an amazing experience. I took, I did not take it for granted. I, I enjoyed every second of it. I really did. So I believe we've covered probably five or six obstacles into opportunities. I'm waiting for like five more and then I'm going to have you back because it's just always so, so, so fun. Thank you so much for taking the time and I will definitely let you know when we go live, okay? For sure. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com. 